We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 315 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Emil Evanesian. And Emil, I was all ready to talk about the Fernand, the Ferran Torres stuff, a little bit more on that, maybe a little bit about Pedri's return, maybe even something about the Fabio Blanco signing for Barca B. But that has all been overshadowed by the flip of Usmai Dembele's contract situation, the number of COVID yeah. absences against Mallorca, a difficult decision by Easy Abde. Uh, so before we get to all that stuff, I, I think, or even even Alvaro Morata that we're going to hit today too. So before we hit any of that stuff, how's it going? Not too bad. Uh, so I will say that uh, the the latest strain of COVID is uh, it's it's out there. Uh, I am a recent. I recently got out of the health and safety protocols myself, and uh, yeah, apparently it's uh, seeped its way into the Barca roster as well. So well, we, but yeah, other, otherwise things are good. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad that you're feeling good and you're able at least to do the podcast out of health. Oh, yeah. Protocol. So, but yeah, we're unfortunately going to have to talk about COVID later in the show, which I mean, no person likes to do, especially nope. no one hosting a podcast or whatever. So, but before we do that, we have to talk about one of the players who does have COVID, but that doesn't seem to be the big issue with him at the moment. I feel like we have had, honestly, I feel like we've had the Dembele talk 1 billion times since this podcast started. And actually, I'm not that far off. Frances and I talked about what Dembele could bring to Barca way 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 back in episode 27 i looked this up back in august of 2017 when he signed with the club wow and i feel like having listened to part of that we have not gotten much farther in the conversation because a lot of that conversation was theoretical and about what he can do and what he's capable of and what he needs to improve upon and he is very much the same player just five years down the line and i guess a little more refined and a little more guaranteed in what he is because he is five yeah. years down the line. And the reason we talk about him, obviously, uh, if you listen to this podcast, you don't live in Iraq, you know, the contract talks apparently have broken down. Maybe we won't be having this conversation much longer. I must say that too. So I just want to quickly go over, Emil, let's start with what we are now being told at time of reporting. So Gerard Romero is at the center of this. He's a Catalan yeah. journalist turned Twitch personality. And he has, for the last few seasons, has a very hit or miss record. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But it yep. seems like under the Laporta board, and we'll get to him again with Avaro Morata, that Romero has regained, because again, some kind of relationship with whoever's in Laporta yeah. board or his, his entorno, as they say, that Romero has regained some of his credibility. 
So he mm-hmm. reported yesterday that Dembele's agent was told that Barca could not meet his salary demands. And his agent said that he was only willing to accept those conditions. So uh, that we know is true. That's been confirmed by every journalist everywhere, um, you know, uh, in, in Catalonia and, and beyond. So mm-hmm. here's the allegedly parts of that story that seem to be dictating people's opinions and creating discourse here. And that is one, that his agent is using the Ferran Torres signing and his necessary registration being dependent on Dembele's renewal, as in Dembele has to renew, or this renewal they wanted to get done now so that he, yeah. would, he would lower his salary to get Ferran Torres registered. So the okay. agent is using that as leverage. That seems very plausible to me. Number two is that his camp is frustrated. The club is saying they don't have enough money for Dembele, but they do want to sign Holland. And that is abundantly clear, even in those yeah. meetings and the project moving forward. And then number three is that the agent and Dembele are asking for a 40 million euro gross per season salary and a 20 million euro signing bonus, which comes out to about 750K per week. How much validity do you give to those three? So the first two, I would say relatively high. I mean, the, well, particularly the, I mean, I guess they, they sort of dovetail into one another. So it's Ferran Torres, you know, you guys, after all this time of all this talk of austerity and, you know, there's no money and, and everything else. So you guys find the money and splash out for Ferran Torres. And all the while, you know, even, even in these moments where there was apparently no money, the, the hope of bringing Erling Holland here was, you know, never abandoned. And I suppose, you know, why would you abandon it? That would be a great thing if you could do it. But the, the fact that it's still being spoken about as such a feasible option. I mean, I get from his perspective where he might say that, okay, so you guys want me to take a pay cut effectively to finance the the acquisition of my replacements or, you know, the guys that you're going to almost instantaneously promote above me. I understand where he might be a little bit put out by that and just say that, you know, so you guys clearly can find this money somewhere. You just don't want to give it to me. So I, I kind of get that. The the last one, the about his salary demands, the the 40 million and the two, that sounds outlandish. I mean, that, that kind of smacks of if anything, that kind of tells me that, and again, I know nothing, I have no inside information, but the it gives me the impression that this thing might really be dead in the water. And it strikes me as you know, sometimes when a team, when a guy is out the door, the the, the local media or the, the local friendly media will start planting stories and, you know, stories will come out about either, you know, bad behavior in the past or demands that were made that, that precipitated the, the exit. So this strikes me as a lot of that. I mean, this that strikes me as like PR wrangling. So the, the third one doesn't really get me too much. The first two seem eminently plausible. Well, the only thing about the third one that I do raise an eyebrow as is that it was reported the two clubs connected to him immediately, even as soon as January, if he were to get some kind of release from Barca now, is Manchester United and Newcastle. And in the case of Newcastle over the summer, this the, the 40 million gross salary and 20 million signing bonus might not be something that the Musa Sissoko, the agent for Dembele, believes is plausible for Barca, but that might be the counter counter offer from Newcastle for the summertime that the agent is yeah. putting to the table. And, and basically saying, hey, if you guys can't deliver the bag to my client, then he's right. going to go get that bag elsewhere. And he's completely entitled to do that. And I always, always tell every player, I mean, as much as people are popping up with that, the meme of, uh, not meme, but the, the quote by Johan Cruyff about if you don't want to be a Barca, 
then you know Barca doesn't want you. And Xavi has iterated the same thing in his time. Yeah, Barca could they could go out and use that money not only to register in the short term, obviously, but they could use that money on Ronald Araujo and Nico and Gabi. It's just unfortunate that Barca does not have the leverage where they either, yeah. I mean, he, he cannot be an asset. Apparently the club is saying to Xavi that, and this is a big decision that Xavi has to make against somebody who said before that he would, that he doesn't want someone who doesn't want to play at the club. Right. And he <laughs> said that, and Xavi has said that, but you know, I don't lose sight of the most important thing this season being finishing top four. So what mm-hmm. does Barca have to do to finish top four? And it seems like, I mean, is he willing to go for 10 million euros? Probably not. He's probably not. He's going to probably refuse to be sold right. for 10 million. And that's, that's I mean, the likely the case. Well, that, was until- the, that was the prevailing rumor anyway, just when the negotiations were ongoing, right? It was either there's going to be an extension and he's going to be here beyond this year, or he's just going to wind down his contract and go for free because that's going to secure him the largest yeah. pay packet. And with his injury history, he was only willing. They weren't. They weren't really. I mean, again, you and I cover the NBA, so you see a lot mm-hmm. more with their the player autonomy there. That there, this is not a. There was no put up or shut up deal on the table. There was no mm-hmm. one year or two year extension for Dembélé. Mm-hmm. His agent wanted a long term solution, which tells you the agent may not be totally sold on the player either. And with his health and track record, you can't be as he's entering his prime. You can't be sold. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so. I think for Xavi, it's fair for him to be divided. I mean, again, so Barca could use some of that flat money other than register, but to, yeah, for Araujo and Nico and Gabi and those extensions, mm-hmm. which are, I think, more important than Dembele's even. But again, I, I think it's it's a division. It seems like people with one voice are saying that Dembele, all right, like, how do you get him out of the club now that he's like denied the renewal? Like, it's over. It's it's done. Yeah. But I, I think it stinks. It's still, I think it stinks that Xavi is losing one of the potentially most influential wingers of world football when he played for the club. And for the club to lose another asset for free is tough. But in the end, it may be best for all parties involved to move on from this situation and maybe move on as soon as possible, uh, other than the leverage that Dembele has. I mean, for Barca's sake, at least. Mm -hmm. I mean, Barca won't be trapped in a big contract for a player that has missed more time than he's played. And it's still a question mark durability-wise entering his prime. And to me, I do throw out that if you don't care about the club, this is still a business and Dembele's agent is right to ask for the moon when Dembele is is willing to get the moon or is is able to get the moon from Newcastle. Because if Newcastle is willing to pay for theory, and that's what the difference of these negotiations is, that Newcastle, (laughs) if they put them on 40 million gross per season, they're paying for, in theory, a really, really great player who's a World Cup winner and could be this world-class winger. But the agent is negotiating the theory and the club is negotiating reality plus their the reality, financial yeah. reality. The, the proven track record. And, right. And I mean, the, the club is also negotiating its own reality. Exactly. I mean, they're negotiating Dembele's reality, Dembele's reality along with their own. Now, you know, I'm missed sure 104 matches. You. That's reality. I mean, that is yeah. reality for, for Barca to come to the table with. I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, when you were talking about the, uh, when you were, you know, kind of introducing the subject, you were talking about how he's a little bit of an evolved player. He's a little bit more of a refined player and everything else. And and I think there's some truth to that. But at the same time, too, I mean, there's still, there's so little, I don't know, like concrete data and concrete track record to grab. And especially of a continuous run of play where he's been healthy, where we can legitimately kind of pin down what he is and where he fits and, you know, uh, different ways that he's been deployed and where where they might be better. There just hasn't, and, and you know, I mean, we've gotten some data points, but there just hasn't been a long run of 
sustained, healthy, high-level play where we can have a whole lot of confidence saying that this is what this guy is now. His his physical his physical attributes and his skills are known and they are considerable, but like, but we don't actually know what the I mean, what is the proven entity of the player? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think, unfortunately, the proven entity of the player is good enough to, I mean, that's the question that I'm going to ask you as well. I've mm-hmm. been thinking about the question, and you see Twitter polls too, like, should Barcelona and Xavi, if the club wants him to sit in the stands if he's leaving for free and don't utilize that player, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that would have happened to Ilas Moriba. He, would you put him in the stands or would you play him? Because, and I, I can't think that comes to the caveat that if Dembele is not renewing and reducing his salary now, that means that Ferran Torres will not be registered. And that means that, I mean, we're going to talk about Avaro Morata next, but that means he probably wouldn't be registered either. And so that means that I think to get top four, you're going to have to play Dembele. And the top four and the, the ambitions of the club beyond this year, if you want Holland, you have to finish top four. And if you yes. and to finish top four, you either have to register Ferran Torres or you should probably play a talent like Dembele to finish top four. And it's just, yes. I just, it's not going to be advantageous. Like, and I know that like, it kind of spits in the face of, you know, the the hard line that the club would like to take on a player leaving on a free. And it feels yeah. like the player has won that battle. And I know people don't want Barca to take the L there, but the yeah. much, much larger L, like my, my, you know, my care or belief is I want the club to be as good and sustainable and as yeah. high succeeding as it can be in the post Dembele era, even next year. And that, that means that if he's going to hold the club hostage, they're unfortunately going to have to be held hostage to play him to, to finish top four. Yeah. It's, Cause it's weird. Cause it's like, you're saying, is it Dembele or Holland? I mean, but the answer is if it's not Dembele, then it, then hopefully it can be Holland. And you know, it is even weird to exactly. think it is even weird to think about Dembele though. I think this is the final point in Dembele that because it's all theoretical, if you say who fits Xavi's system, Dembele or Holland, the, I mean, and the way he wants to play, it 
feels like the, you know, Dembele on paper, it's actually the player that fits Xavi's system better and Holland is a bigger question mark. But if you say who makes Barcelona better in the next five years, even if Dembele renewed, the answer is Holland it's a yeah. thousand it's... times every single day. It's of course yes. Holland makes the club yeah. better. He scores almost a goal a game at uh, Borussia Dortmund for the last it, few seasons. And he's, he's only so 21. Young, so smart, so powerful. I mean, he's just, I mean, he really is just one of these kind of total packages, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he is, I mean, not, not quite to the point, you know, okay. So you don't maybe necessarily entirely overhaul the way you play for him, but you can't be dogmatic if you know if, if you're a club that aspires to a certain style of play and Erling Holland isn't inch perfect, you know, the 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 number nine or the, the man for your system, you have to give a little. Like the the dogma has to crack a little bit to to facilitate that. Now you don't necessarily do that for every player, but I I, I agree that Dembele is in theory the the better fit for the way that Javi wants to play. As far as yeah, because I mean the if there is no other recourse, if there's no other way to free up the the money and the and the squad spaces and everything to to register Ferran Torres, then yeah, I mean you you might just have to. I mean, I would say play Dembele. I mean, he's I mean he's never he's never made any overtures about wanting. He, he hasn't claimed that he's going to shut it down and not try or tank games or anything like that. So there's no reason to believe that he's not going to be you know, a decent professional and play to the best of his ability and play out his contract. And I agree because you need to get into the top four. There is no Holland without the top four. Like, I mean, just the, the notion that Holland would want to sign for, even if it is Barca, you know, sort of the, the grand legacy and the, the, you know, the, all the prestige and everything, the notion that Erling Holland's going to sign for a Europa league team is absurd i mean that just that sort of thing simply does not happen well if he i mean if barca are in the europa league not only is he not signing but he's going to real madrid i mean that that is the higher <laughs> right yeah. barca is trying to swoop in i mean and the, it said that it's not even that laporta is desperate for holland is that laporta is desperate for holland and mbappe to not go to real madrid and yeah if, from a marketing perspective it's just as important to get that the name holland on the back of jerseys it's just essential to Barca's brand. It's essential to oh, the next wave or the next generation of to, to have that player around all these other, you know, in theory, future superstars. But to, to your point about what can be done, the immediate problem continues to be that Barca needs to reduce salary to register mm-hmm. Torres and Danny Alves. And to get under that seven, the 97 million euro threshold, they're only able to use 25% on incoming transfers then. And that, that number is just so, so low. And, what yeah. I've seen, the only possible thing they have left to play after PK reduces salary very, very little. Danny Alves is basically coming for, I mean, as free as possible. But yeah. one of the solutions I, I saw that may upset people is that there could be, speaking of renewals, a renewal for Sergio Roberto, even injured now, mm. that massively lowers his salary, but does keep him at the club for an extension of two years. So that, that's I fine, mean, right? Right. I, I mean, mean, that's what, that's what I've seen, that they can... They can pretty much, I mean, it means that they can register every, uh, everybody who will actually play while he's still injured and renew him for a much lower salary because he does make a lot. I think, I mean, of the things that I trust, I think he's making the sixth most or something on the on the ledger or fifth or sixth most. So, I mean, his salary like, is yeah. quite, quite well, high. Like that, that old, yeah, that old, old guard, like all the guys that were, you know, from the old guard apparently are on 
good money. I mean, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but yeah, like it's, yeah, he's, he's well paid from what I can, from what I can gather. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, that means you're stuck with Sergio Roberto, but again, I don't know if the club, especially the, I mean, the Catalans there believe the same thing that you're stuck with Sergio Roberto. And especially if you're going to be, as I spoke about on the earlier show this week, if Des is indeed one foot out the door already, which I don't need to rehash it. It continues to puzzle mm-hmm. me, but I understand how he is a financial asset and the club is looking for mm-hmm. what can get things done, what can bring in a Ferran Torres and who has to be sacrificed for that, which makes the, now we're going to pivot to the Alfaro Morata stuff. I think we've mm-hmm. done Demolay enough. It seems yeah. like, I mean, again, if Gerard Romero does have his credibility back, which he tweets a lot and he does a lot of stuff on Twitch. So that means yeah. that it is going to be the circus has begun circling again in all oh, these different yeah. towns. So if Romero is, is someone to be really believed again, because he has someone on the inside once more that a loan to buy for Alvaro Morata from Juventus is actually real. I mean, he scored seven goals in 23 appearances this year, but I, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter what numbers I give you because everyone in the world knows who Alvaro Morata is. Yes. Everyone who's watched Atletico Madrid or Spain or Juventus. Juventus I mean, there is Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. He is a good striker and, and it is tough to find a number nine in this world. Especially, I mean, just a high quality number nine. Mm-hmm. And he just, I think very much like Olivier Giroud, he has people going, are you a high quality number nine? And he goes, maybe. And then you go, well, yeah. you're in our team. So we hope you are. And then he goes, well, am I? And then it's kind of like the, <laughs> like, yeah. you don't know exactly well, what you're going to get. But, but, but then, Emil, as much as we talk about the hypothetical of him on the field, everything we just talked about Dembele, how are you going to discuss Holland if Alvaro Morata is a loan to permanent deal? How are you going to discuss registering Ferran Torres and Danny Alves if Alvaro Morata is coming in January. How is all that possible? I just like, I, I just, it doesn't all don't, make sense in my brain. So Alvaro Morata on the field is, is interesting. I think you describe him really well. Like he's, he has all of the, the raw materials and the component parts of an elite striker. And the reality of Alvaro Morata is, you know, a good to excellent striker, depending on which run of form you you catch him in, I suppose. But the the interesting thing with him is, I don't know. I mean, we might just be too far down the down the road with him to to assume that some sort of change of scenery or change of teammates or anything will make it. I mean, he's twenty nine. He, he yeah, he's not he, so it's not, he's not young. No, he's always had this spectacular. I mean, I've always thought of him. He has a fantastic gift for being in the spot where fantastic opportunities fall to him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm I'm going to stop the story there because because that's on an upswing. But you know, he's he's always in a spot where he can score the big goal, or you know, he's in the right place at the right time. I mean, it's even I've never I've never rooted for a club that he's played for or anything else. I mean, it's got to be maddening. Just he's so good at like ninety percent of the job. And so the, the results are so scattered and middling when it comes to the actual stuffing the ball in the goal. I mean, in the sense, he's not a bad player, but so going to the other, other part of what you said. So one of the articles that I read, and again, who knows how much truth there is to a lot of this, this conjecture, but the, the story said that Xavi has apparently spoken with either Murata's representation or the player himself and said that 
you know, this is meant to be a strategic move. This isn't just supposed to be a six month loan. And the plan is for Murata to be here long past, you know, I think it said, quote, far beyond the end of this season. I don't understand how that would work if, like you said, the very frequently and loudly reiterated aim is to bring Erling Holland in. I mean, so you're either, what, you're going to do what the last administration did, bring Murata in, give him a long-term deal, and somehow manage to get Erling Holland and, what, stash another high-priced dude on the bench or make him a, you know, 20, 30-minute substitute? Or what? I mean, you're just going to ruin this guy's confidence and, you know, if you're going to bring him in, sign him, and then essentially just openly court Erling Holland. I mean, because one of the other things that every sort of well-written, well-thought-out and well-sourced article and profile of Murata that I've read is his his psyche and his confidence are paramount to how he plays on the field. Yeah. When he doesn't feel appreciated, when he doesn't have that, that self-assuredness, it becomes like this negative feedback loop. And he just he starts snatching at chances and it gets worse and then everyone turns on him and then that gets worse. And so if that's what you're going to do, you're literally doing the thing that is documented to damage this guy's form. So I I, I don't know what the plan is in doing that. I mean, in a vacuum, he's a good player, but if you legitimately think you have a chance at getting Holland in here, you're better off just playing Dembele and hopefully, you know, hopefully he plays well enough and everyone gets, you know, healthy enough and, the, the team is good enough to secure top four and then you bid farewell to Dembele and bring Holland in. But I feel like this Alvaro Morata thing just doesn't, it doesn't fit with anything resembling the, the talk of the long-term strategy of the club as, as it's been yeah. presented. Yeah. And it's even with the Ferran Torres deal. And one of the reasons we praised it and we like mm-hmm. it is because it feels like Barca said, Hey, we didn't have a vision. I mean, Messi, <laughs> Messi was the one who said it over and over himself that, mm-hmm. The club doesn't really have a plan right now as far as transfers and players or whatever, even though in theory they're bringing them around me. And we obviously (laughs) saw that with Coutinho and Griezmann and blah, blah, blah. blah. We've done this a million times. But it seems like even with the Ferran Torres deal and the likes of Pedri, the likes of Gabi, and, uh, you know, some other day, I might even write an article instead of doing it on the pod about the Fabio Blanco move and the Emery Mm -hmm. Demir, and even the, in theory, the Yusuf Demir moves, they all seem to be with an eye with, with a plan, with an idea towards this is what we're looking for. This is even the player mm-hmm. that we could resell in this position, X, Y, Z. And yeah, the Morata one, it, it, again, it's just, I, I don't, I don't put a lot of sense in it where you go. I mean, if you're going to do this and just, Aubameyang is going to be a free transfer in the summertime. So just go after him, you know, or, <laughs> or try to figure out if Arsenal wants to part with Lacazette for a small fee. Cause I think he'll be a free agent like the following year, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to get a player from 28 to 32, then just, you know, just ro- roll the dice in that way. But uh, yeah, his wages are going to be too high. I think to, for this to make sense, but yeah, I mean, I, so I'm not sold on it. I mean, I get, I mean, the rumor there too is apparently he's willing to take. Huge, so the, the, the yeah. way that I read it was he's willing to take a huge pay cut because so apparently so he's atletico's still and he's at juve and i guess juve have no interest and so because i guess there's a a buy option of 40 million yeah that juve have no interest in triggering so essentially juve would be happy because it absolves them of having to make that decision and takes him off of their books um i guess atletico find a place to to put this guy and he's 
not just gathering dust on their bench and that's doing their... it's doing a service to them because remember i mean yeah is atletico trying to push barson saying hey if you don't do this deal you're getting Griezmann. We won't buy griezmann <laughs> right yeah. yeah we won't we won't go forward and buy griezmann i mean yeah that's a huge one for that but all right i think morata as i said on the field i guess as a number nine i get it i but i just i, I think he's fine yeah yeah he's <laughs> fine i mean it'll the 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 Bars is going to go as far as Fati, and I, now you add Torres to that equation. Mm-hmm. Javi and, and Pedri and Nico and De Jong and uh, Araujo. As far as those players take Barca's, how yes. far they go, Morata would not be... I mean, even for Spain, he's the number nine, but we've seen he's the eighth most important player on the field, or ninth most important yes. player in the field as far as... Even getting the ball in the back of the net, he's like six on that list. Yeah, but but he but he is he plays a role and he serves a purpose. And I do see how for Luis Enrique Spain, people are also making that connection. For Luis Enrique Spain, if Xavi's Barcelona, which now apparently with Pedri and Busquets and even Sergio Roberto has been the peripheral, and Alba and Eric Garcia, you could quickly see how Enrique uh, Luis Enrique Spain and Xavi's Barcelona are can can look very much in the mirror and feel yeah, like I mean, Anansu. How do I not mention Anansu either? And we'll get to Abde. Yeah, they're totally intertwined, yeah. Yeah, but before that, Barca have a match, actually, before I have, <laughs> well, yeah, before I have the next podcast this weekend against Mallorca. So I have in misspoke, and I must be very clear about this. I have misspoke in the past because I live in the US of A, baby. But COVID <laughs> is different over in Europe. And Emil, you speak about, I mean, you can speak more to what variants are being transmitted there because here in the U.S., Omicron is being, it's very tra- transmissible, but it's less deadly here in the yes. U.S. And so you're seeing the NBA and the NFL are getting decimated by positive tests, yeah. but the vaccination rates here are also lower. So the number of mm-hmm. deaths here is still higher, but positive COVID tests are affecting football everywhere with vaccination yeah. rates being a bit higher in Spain, as in more people getting vaccinated, if, if that makes any sense. But okay, so what we do know at this point, and again, mm-hmm. this is probably going to change the next hour, but Demele Umtiti, Gabi Alves, who can't be registered anyway until the third mm-hmm. uh, when the window opens, Balde, Lingley, and Alba all tested positive. And then today, mm-hmm. Dest, Abde, and Coutinho are added to that list. Busquets yeah. is suspended. Brothwaite, yeah. Ansu, um, Pedri, though he could feature on the bench, though, but will not start. But Busquets, Brothwaite, Ansu, Pedri, Roberto, and then before he tests positive for COVID, Dest and Memphis Dubai are all questionable, suspended, or carrying an injury that keeps them out. And so for those wondering, will La Liga postpone this match? The overwhelming answer is still very much no. Last yeah. year, Granada had like five or six first-team players available, and I think you have to be down to five first-team players. I think it's five, and then yeah. you can fill out, you have to fill out the rest with, like, I guess youth players, or I don't even know, like, you do the NBA thing where you just find anyone in the neighborhood who can play and just give them a jersey, but like... Yeah. Right, there is, there, the G League is the same thing as the Segunda Bay, basically. Yeah, right, yeah. So they, that means that Barca currently have nine players, counting Neto, so eight first-team available players mm-hmm. to start the match. That leaves Ter Stegen, Neto, Araujo, PK, Eric Garcia, Mingueza, Frank de Young, Puj, and Luke de Young. So I think the starting lineup for Mallorca has completely written itself here. It's probably a 4-3-3 with Ter Stegen, yeah. Araujo, PK, Garcia, Mingueza at the back. Frankie de Young, Puj, and Nico in the midfield. And then yep. Jukla, Luke de Young, and probably Ilasha Komash up top. Um, yep. And I'm not even sure if he can, but maybe Marmol from Mingetha at left back, where Marmol is more comfortable as a natural left back, slash left center back. And Mingetha, we saw he is not comfortable on that left side. But yep. I also don't think Xavi would hand him, that being Marmol, his debut in that circumstance. But you never know. 
Nor, though, am I saying that's even legal to happen since Nico, Zhukla, and Ilyas would represent the max three B-team starters, if I did read that correctly. That you can only have three maximum first-team B-team, or yeah. three B-team players can start unless you have less than the the available number. The under, the under five first-teamers. Right. <laughs> to, to start, so... That's pretty wild. That's pretty wild. I think that's why the there's yeah. the the massive push to um, redo Nico's contract and register him in the first team. So the, that, right now, this this is proof <laughs> that Nico and Gabby's renewals and first team registration is paramount now. Yes. Yeah, I mean the, these things are so tough to talk about because I mean it's even you know you touched on the NBA and I mean just even in talking about this with the NBA, it's it it makes these games so difficult to to analyze and, and kind of talk about, I mean, I guess in the case of Barca, you know, the, you know, because there's not the same kind of proliferation of substitutions. You don't have to worry about the in-game depth in the same way that you do in basketball. So at least we can kind of talk about what the, the starting 11 more or less would be for that game, but it makes these games so difficult to analyze because I mean, there's, this is a unit that we've never seen play together before. I mean, the, the, the 11 that you, kind of laid out that would probably have to be it if we have to go forward with this game. It's a unit that's never played together before that we can probably approximate a little bit in our heads what it might look like, but you know, then you, then you throw it out into the real world and, and see what actually happens. Well, do the, I mean, uh, like I do a little play by play. So just do the play by play here that, you know, I, I'm going Megatha on the left side, pushing yeah. up left back, finds Pooj in the middle, Pooj turns, diagonal ball over to Jukla on the right side, Jukla crossed in for Luke de Young, goal Barcelona, right? Yes. Like, what if that makes any sense in this season? What, or what if that line of, of thought or, we, or progression, if you will, negate that left back into Pooj, Pooj diagonal ball to Jukla on the right side, into Luke de Young for the header goal. What if all of that is going to be relevant to FC Barcelona next year? In eight months, like, and no disrespect to Jukla, Mingetha, or Puj, who might still be around, but also that progression, you think Mingetha, Puj, Jukla will ever start a game together, right? They're all like complementary bench options who might play together, yeah, like as squad depth players. But they yeah, they're sort of like squad guys. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're all guys who will get, you know, your odd like Copa del Rey and Champions League game or, you know, league games. But no, I mean, this is. This is a complete necessity. They are going to make up some portion of the spine of the team. I mean, it's it's very much it's it's a team for a moment. You know what I mean? Just based on what we're seeing in sports everywhere, like these, a lot of these uh, lineups are going to be these strange time capsules that we'll look back and just kind of be like, man, that was weird. <laughs> like that that happened. And we've been watching the NBA now for two years. Do this weird dance where. You it depends on the fan base and the and the team you root for uh, as to how much you put an asterisk next to it because right now like Rio and Rio and Atletico Madrid mm-hmm. Atletico Madrid is missing Jao Felix and Antoine Griezmann and their manager Simeone yeah. the most important person for Atletico Madrid as far as their mm-hmm. game plan and then Rio is also missing a ton of players and we also see that 12 i think right yeah it was like last i saw was 12 and we also see dad is up and close to double digits or over double digits at this point too um and get so you have three of the uh, four of the top seven teams like being ravaged by covid uh and 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 covid protocol so you know you do put an asterisk where at the end of the season the league table won't care which teams had covid and they won't care. I mean, it, it's going. No. The, the goals of the season remain the same, regardless of who is available. Now, again, if there's 
if there's less than five players and you do have to postpone the game and that could happen, especially for a moneymaker like Barcelona. I think the team is, I mean, I think La Liga, and this is with a little bit of privilege mm-hmm. is that I think La Liga is a bit more conducive to have that conversation with Real Madrid and Barcelona, just because of, you know, the sheer attraction of their games, the sheer fanfare yes. around the world mm-hmm. of the number of eyes and things like that. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately one of the guys missing and uh, yeah, I think we're done with Mallorca there. So I think one of the final things we're going to talk about today is the Abde situation, which he is now, again, at time of recording, going to play for Spain instead of Morocco. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of hot takes about this. I mean, I have my own opinion of it, but I don't really like the hot takes. And I think there's a bit of, I don't know. What do you think about this one? I mean, I'll let you go first. So I, I will admit that I haven't, um, I'm not, I, I haven't, I've neither sought out nor had, nor encountered a lot of the, the hot takes. Um, I mean, I know this is a thing that, happens i mean in the sense you know um again kind of you know switching to basketball like serge Ibaka plays for spain mm-hmm. internationally he moved to spain he was registered as a spanish player but he's from africa um that this is a i mean in my mind it's you know Lionel messi could have chosen spain when right. when he was making his choice of of international set i it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. I, mean, I don't know what are what are people really up in arms about because this is kind of a, a thing that happens with talented young players who right. are have well, the I, option of a lesser country or they can join, you well, know, a more established power. The question comes about the frustration comes from timing and potential pressure on the player. In that, mm. you know, I because I, I was saying if he had chosen Morocco. My point mm-hmm. was, if Barca's season is resting on whether or not Abde, a guy no one had heard about four months ago, misses mm-hmm. 12 matches in January, the club mm-hmm. is in a much worse place than we thought. Is the entire oh, totally. idea yeah. of top four rests on Abde's shoulders. But I, So I got, though, how he wanted to be around and fighting for his spot, though. I mean, going could have moved someone else over him in the pecking order. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do feel for the decision he had to make. And you'd think that Xavi would have been fair about it, but, you know, they are training... And they are doing in Xavi's second month at the club, you know, building those important building blocks for the club uh, that yeah. he might have trouble catching up to. So I totally understand that. And I also want to say, like, from the player's perspective, it's a it's a grueling and awful decision here in the U.S. Yeah. There's a, a big, huge debate for the U.S. men's national team about Mexican-Americans in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of garbage that's said. But I, I think Ian Wright had it right, the old Arsenal player. He mm-hmm. said that if this was a European team, like where it was Morocco, uh, Abde deciding whether or not to go from Morocco to the African combinations. He said, if it was a European team, we wouldn't be making him decide between club and country. It wouldn't be a question. If there was an yeah. option to go play for Spain and now Pedri actually, <laughs> the Olympics is the one thing, but yet Pedri still went and played for Spain in the Olympics yeah. when there wasn't club football. But if there was a question of if the Euro was mid season, or even if they had decided to play through the world cup in 2020, 2022 guys would yeah. go. And I know the African combination yeah. isn't the same, but I mean, it's, it's the equivalent. I mean, it is to them. So I, I just, it is to the, to, to the guys who are, you know, yeah. to the, to the African players, this is their continental tournament. This is, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the apex of the game on, on the continent and, you know, of their homeland. So, I mean, I'm, that actually is always just the, the way the, the AFCON sort of falls in the middle of the season and, you know, guys get pressure from, from their clubs or, you know, they go, they play in the Cup of Nations and then they come back and they're, you know, just, they're, they're run ragged from we all the travel and all the... Munir El Haddadi for Morocco, yeah. the exact thing happened and he is not mm-hmm. going to feature for Spain. And so for Abde, 
I mean, to have to choose between a few appearances, maybe, maybe for Spain or yeah. play for Morocco, where he'll play likely every window. It, it would be it, it would make me sad if he chose this because of the short term needing to stay and for and making that choice that, oh, my career rests on being at Barcelona in the month of January in 2021. And then only making, you know, two appearances for Spain because Luis Enrique even felt yeah. bad that he had to, to whatever or whatever it is. But but that said, like, I don't know. And so he was born in Morocco, but I think he moved to I think it was Elche when his family was seven. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of factors as to yeah. if he finds himself to be most comfortable in a Spanish national team setup or the Morocco national team setup. So his identity and his identity as it's not even about his cultural identity. If he's more Morocco and more Spanish, like that's unfair to do to him. But also, yeah. where is he more comfortable playing international football? Like, what setup does he like better? And of course, mm -hmm. Spain's training center is better. Spain's, I mean, the, the field options are better. It just, it's the complimentary, also- The complimentary talent is going to be better. You know, yeah, you're playing in Spain. So if, yeah, I mean, it's true. If he banks on himself and he's able to make it into that level to be a, a selection for Luis Enrique Spain, then for sure, like, it, it totally makes sense for him to go for Spain, even if I find at home more as a Moroccan player. Oh, totally. So I think there's a couple of things there. One, I mean, I do think that, and we've talked about this in various sort of scenarios about different guys, but I mean, I think anyone who reaches even the fringes of this level of football as a professional, their sense of, I don't know, confidence, arrogance, self-belief, whatever you want to say, is something that we normals would probably find just wholly unrelatable because simply to get to the place where he's gotten to is an astounding achievement. And so I, there's a part of me that thinks that, yeah, he's probably thinking that, yeah, I made it here and I want to make it as a, you know, as a Barca player. Like I, and this, he might see this as like that moment, you know, like his, his pivotal moment to, if I'm going to be a star at Barca, if this thing is going to work out and like this, this dream is going to come to fruition, this is it. This is, this is the moment. Because also, you know, you don't know if there's any kind of, like you said, if he misses out on some of these training sessions or if he's on the outside a little bit as a result of this, does, does the positive momentum that he has towards becoming a Barca player and becoming a long-term Barca player, does that fizzle out a little bit? And then is he in a few years just a guy who's on the fringes of the team and maybe looking at a move to, you know, a mid-table Spanish side or, you know, you know, somewhere in England or whatever. So I understand where he might just be looking at this. I don't know what his sort of cultural perspective is mm -hmm. um, as far as how, how much he feels Spanish, how, how strong a tie he feels to Morocco. I don't know any of that. So, I mean, I don't, yeah, it would absolutely suck if he, if his heart just, if his heart kind of belongs to Morocco and he wants nothing more than to be an international star for, for his country and professional concerns have yeah. kind of swayed him in this decision. He had to, you know, effectively had to make the business decision at the same time. I mean, that I realized too, it's, or, you know, I acknowledge that it's entirely possible that he made that decision. I mean, the being a star for Barca or, you know, being a star in Spain, might be a higher priority than yeah than I mean, that any and so I I don't know I mean that that's a that's a question obviously for him but I can I can see where I can see the relative merits of of either side and just yep. I I just certainly hope he's not heartbroken because yeah he had to pass on Morocco 
really for things that were, like you said, short term and, you know, not not of his choosing. It could affect the long term because it is true that if he stayed in January, Dembele is gone. And then mm-hmm. I mean, Abde is basically, I mean, in the short term, supposed to be the replacement on the field for Usman Dembele, who is a mm-hmm. World Cup winner for France. And it is true that players from Barca and Real Madrid have a leg up in, in national team call up as well. So he was, I mean, you'd have to think that as long as he stayed in peripheral Barca, he was an automatic call for Morocco, obviously, but for, mm-hmm. for Spain, I mean, yeah, if he, if he's playing for Barcelona every year and getting 10 goals or whatever, then yeah, he could be a backup for Ozil on the national team and he'll mm-hmm. get called up. And Spain also plays enough international competitions between the nation's league and international friendlies and, and Euro and world cup. Mm-hmm. I mean, he'll get some time occasionally he'll get windows and his yeah. team, Bobby has proven that there's a level that Luis Enrique is looking for. And again, there is some synergy and continuity that Germany at the 2014 show, uh, World Cup showed us that if you can take six players from a club team and put them in a national team, they have a level of chemistry that just makes it better. And Spain... Well, it's like Spain and Spain and, you know, 08 to 12. Was, exactly. I mean, it wasn't one club, but it was it was two clubs that essentially, that essentially spent those five years in you know, getting to know one another as best you could in a series of rock fights. So, I mean, it was, but it was, everybody was completely, you know, completely familiar and completely attuned with the the mannerisms and the personalities. So I, I do think that particularly given the way that the, the young guys, you know, I mean, the young, young and old, but the, the way the Barca, Barca team comprises such a significant part of the Spanish team, this would put him on the inside track. And if he is able to, if he plays well and he's able to maximize his his ability and his potential, he could be a, a prominent player in the Spanish team. You know, I mean, you know, maybe not the the A one superstar, but he could be a a fixture in the Spanish setup for a, a particular period of time. And you know, presumably that is, you know, I mean, he's he's on an inside track to that at, at Barca in a way that he wouldn't be at whatever, Espanol or, you know, I mean, even like Sevilla, Valencia, the other relatively large Spanish teams. And the Sp- and Spain wingers, it's not that deep. I mean, you have Ansu, no. ironically, of Ansu and Ferran Torres. Who, uh, right. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, then Orzabal, of course. Uh, but then after that, now you're talking, oh, well, where does Danny Omo play? Where does um, Pablo Sarabia, who's getting up there long in the two? So yeah, I mean, yeah. there could be chances for him. Okay. Last thing, Emil, for you. Earlier this week for the website Urban Pitch, you wrote a piece yeah. of Arsa Femini. The link is down there in the description, so you can read that, check that out. But I don't want to give it all away, but what was mm-hmm. one thing that surprised you while researching the piece? So I think the, I mean, I had heard the, you know, just in, in passing in other articles, I'd read some of the stuff about how, particularly in the last, I guess you could say dozen years, but really over the last decade, the the women's youth set up at Barca, and now, you know, there's, there's nine nine young you know women's players youth players who are actually living at the the La Masia Academy, mm-hmm. and what really interested me was just the the breadth of talent that has come through over the past, I mean really the last six seven years, but also the the similarity between Barca Femini and the Barca men's sides that dominated Europe and the it's almost like this ideal mix of um, international superstars, but also with this unmistakable spine of homegrown talent and the, the way that they are committing new talent and, you know, young players are getting debuts and they are putting up, 
you know, quality performances. So it's, you know, we all know kind of, you know, uh, Martins or Hermoso and, you know, they're not Barca products. I mean, even we could say like uh, Alexia Buteas, she played at, you, you know, she played youth for Barca for a year, but she really, she played for four years at Espanol and then yeah. debuted at Espanol and then came back and became, you know, just this world beater. But it, it's just really fascinating to me the way that they've crafted the team. And, but there does seem to be so much of a priority on, on homegrown talent. And it's, it's a commitment to, and, you know, one of the points that I made was if slash when the money in the, the women's club game becomes, you know, even not astronomical the way it is in the men's game, but when it grows by a factor of three, five, 10, whatever it is, it'll be interesting to see how much that commitment to this ultra successful and, you know, this, this deeply committed and very successful youth development system, how much that, com- that commitment persists because, you know, we can say like with the, with the Barca men's team, we've seen that as the money got bigger and, you know, now granted it was a particular administration too, that went with a really misguided full-blown like Galactico yeah. approach rather than, but it, what interested me was the, the, the template and the, resulting massive domination in Europe seems very similar to what the men's team did in, I mean, probably even from like kind of the late nineties, but definitely the, the early aughts that paid massive dividends through the the middle of the last decade. So, I mean, that was actually a really interesting takeaway. And then uh, on an unrelated note, what was interesting was uh, my, my granular knowledge of the, of the history of the, Barca Femini, especially going back kind of before, you know, 04, 05 or something was, wasn't super significant. Just how modest the beginnings really were. And, you know, they, they were only absorbed into the club in 2002. And I mean, they were effectively, and even for the first three years or first two years that they were actually a, a section of FC Barcelona, they were in the second division. Yeah. And they came back to, and then they were subsequently relegated again in the late aughts. So, I mean, they were very much, I mean, they didn't win the league until the end of the last decade. I mean, it was, it's not when you think of, you would assume that there was just the, especially just in Spanish women's football, you would assume that there's been so much, you know, resources and everything that comes with FC Barcelona, you would think that it's just been this like death machine for, for 30 years, but it really is the story of, the past dozen years or so that came with joining FC Barcelona and then, but also effectively committing to developing talent in-house and not just chasing international talent. Well, you can shorten that, that line uh, since professionalism in 2015, 16. Yeah. Well, that's where that was another huge, right. That's the big change. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you talked about the, the, the feminine just did not really succeed. I mean, they, they didn't, mm-hmm relegated number of times, even Layla. But they was, started winning leagues kind of just before the professionalization. So it was kind of when, uh, when Alexia came back, I think it was like 12 or 13. 2011, I think 2012 is when she debuted. For yeah, I think it was 11, 12 when she came back. So then they won two straight leagues after that. And then it's just sort of, then professionalization came and then it all just kind of has kicked on from there. Well, yeah, you mentioned Layla, the, uh, the left back where she yeah. went to Valencia and at the time, Valencia was not a better even spot for her, but a better place for her in theory win because both yeah. and Valencia had a similar chance to win. And now you just look at the, the the huge chasm between the two, and things you know change very quickly. And yeah, it, I think it is this weird thing that I try to do where 
I want to not, I mean, obviously it's easy to champion the feminine team, but it's one thing to champion them, but it's also one thing to think that this is always, and they say it themselves. So listen to the players themselves. Like Melly mm-hmm. Serrano is the one player to listen to, I think, when almost anybody else, because she has been through all of it. Mel- She's Melanie, been there for like 18 years. 19, yeah. And, it's yeah. and you have 530 unofficial appearances, 500 yeah. official appearances for the club. She has seen the worst of it. And the majority yeah. of Melanie Serrano's career at Barcelona was when, you know, she had, she was changing in cars and, and just, you know what I mean? And just having yeah. to make it as a professional and not know if, if she was going to get not even paid, but not know if the, the, the amount that her salary was worth in the second division of non-professional football in 20, yeah. in 2009 or whatever it was, it w- was going to be sustainable for life. And so it is crazy to think, yeah, the difference between then and now. And yes, it's a compliment, but it also comes with the, I mean, and everybody here knows that I'm a history guy. And so mm-hmm. one of the reasons I love Barca is because Barca don't want to forget their history and don't want to forget mm-hmm. the fact that they fought against, you know, they fought against the oppression of what the, the Spanish league was trying to do to them and trying to, to mm-hmm. completely erase the club in the 20s and 30s. So like you, you, Barca will always hold on to its history. So it's also, you have to hold on to the part where the feminine for a long time, you know, did deserved a bit more resources and support that they received. Yeah. And now that they have it all, all, I mean, they're immediately on the top of the world. I mean, it's happened overnight. You're seeing just what an astounding, I mean, just the, and, and still you know, relative to the men, the, the resources the, that the women get are so small. And yeah, but they're comparable enough to dominate Europe. <laughs> you see how astounding the, just how astounding the results are. Just yeah. you, the, the system itself and the, I mean, just the players. I mean, like, you know, I mean, so much credit just goes to these women themselves who are so, just so freaking good. And, but not just good. You and I have spoken about them. Like they just, they play the game in, you know, it is kind of like those, those peak sort of 09 to 11, like the men's teams where the winning was almost ancillary to playing spectacularly for 90 minutes. And Maybe you'd score four, maybe you'd score eight or whatever it was, but it was more so the maximizing those 90 minutes of playing well, rather than sort of, you know, well, it did get of way course they want to win. Well, reading our, it did make me think and compare where uh, even you didn't even mention Mappy mm-hmm. Leon, who I thought is, mm-hmm. I mean, it was one of my favorite defenders mm-hmm. from the last few seasons, but now with mm-hmm. Irene Paredes, who's come in, Mappy yeah. Leon, I'm going to Leganes and really a shock move because I Figured she'd be around for a little bit while longer, but no, and indeed she's moving on. But that said, I, I, I do actually compare it to the men's team and wonder, you know, Patri is only still 23 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. Atana is, uh, Banmati is still only 25. And I mean, Alexia is Alexia, uh, you know, she's the best yeah. player in the world. She, she exists. But I wonder where, you know, your Barca is going to, especially if they put financial resources, they're going to be able to get the next Martins and they're going to be able to mm-hmm. get the next Ashwala and they're going to potentially be able to get the next Hermoso, though yeah. she is again arguably the greatest forward in all of Spanish. Yeah, history. I mean she's she's a one-off herself. Right. Yeah. She's one of one. But in the case of Aitana and and Patri, how are you how is Barca going to sustain that level of player, right? Like it's one thing in your article to say that they're going to come from the academy, but I actually wonder if Patri, just like Busquets and Niesta and Xavi, mm-hmm. if Aitana and Patri are almost one of ones that that this is a generational thing where yes. how is the feminine going to hope to collect this much talent both internally and then also supplement that with Caroline Graham Hansen and Martins and the transfer from outside 
that you get for big money that other clubs can't afford. And you found out you're really remarkable players from your own system. So that's a fun question for the Femini, I think, to have to answer in the next year. I want to be patient with the question. Totally agree. Because, I mean, if you look at the men's teams, and I kind of touched on it a little bit in the article, was, you know, the the dream team was, you know, very notably, it had, it was the essentially the first crop of, it wasn't the first crop from La Masia, but it was the first sort of, you know, hugely successful crop. And it was obviously headlined by by Pep Guardiola. And it was anchored by the the superstar non-Spaniards, non-Catalans. It was Romario and Stoichkov and Waldrup and, you know, Kuman and, you know, Ronaldo and, you know, the, the cavalcade of Brazilians that's come through and everything else like that. But there were always... You know, sort of when when Barca hit hit their greatest peak. So you know, you talk the dream team, and you talk about kind of the 06 to eleven. You know that it was there was always a a superstar that was not of the academy, and you know, in many cases, not of Spain. But if you looked, it was the the foundation was emphatically homegrown, and yeah, and like you said, you don't just go pluck another. Xavi Iniesta midfield, you know, Xavi Iniesta Busquets midfield, just, you know, from the garden and just like pop that one in when the, when the first one gets old, but it's, it's a good thing to aspire to at least, you know, I mean, it's, you, you can kind of acknowledge that you've caught lightning in a bottle a little bit, or this is a, a particularly singular and special moment and maybe don't expect it all the time and don't get, don't give up on the plan and don't turn on the, the players who aren't able to emulate that. But it's it's a very worthwhile thing to aspire to, and I mean, at the very least, I mean, shoot, why not try to replicate it? I mean, you might not acknowledge that, but there there are worse goals. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're a good team, they're a deep team. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of young players. Again, Patri is only twenty three, and yeah, talking about Jana Fernandez and Claudia Pina and the other young and Bruno Filamala and the other young players who are pushing through and, yeah <laughs> not to take Patri's spot but uh okay so i think that wraps it up again you read that article down in the description below mm-hmm. so you can also follow emil on social media just hit emil down in the show notes and mm-hmm. you'll find where he's at we're also on twitter and instagram at the barcelona pod hilton d13 for me facebook group the barcelona podcast answer those questions i let you in and then patreon is how we keep making these shows financial incentive all the stuff that all the goodies that you know are over on patreon uh these shows without the ads mm-hmm. and then we are on youtube with match reviews i also have i want to send people in the direction of the YouTube channel, a full explainer about who Ferran Torres is, his strength, his weaknesses, some stats for you, some graphics, some lineups with him. A lot of goodies over there about Ferran Torres. So it's a whole thing about Ferran Torres uh, in a nice little, a nice little YouTube video with, with, with pictures, as they say. So um, yeah, for the rest of you, though, thanks so much for listening to the audio version of this. This is the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza Barca.